Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 78th episode of a bi-weekly footballing podcast. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we doing today? Footy, Zach. Thanks for teaching me about Hanukkah footy. We had a really, really lovely religious discussion before the podcast, something that we probably in the 40 some odd episodes we've done together we've probably never gone religion into football uh there would be there's some there's some george best line that could be incorporated into that yeah football isn't a religion zach it's far more important than that there it is very good yeah exactly um <laughs> yeah that's that was actually not that heavy of a paraphrase either so that was that was quite perfect yeah i saw that quote as well so listeners if you know who that is hit us up that is george best isn't it it's not Oh no, it's uh, it's uh, it's Brian. Cl- How do you pronounce his last name? Brian Clow? Clo? Mm, no, Clough. No, you got it wrong again. It's Bill Shankly, I believe. Oh, it is Bill Shankly. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I yeah. They're, they're, I feel like those three people are kind of the source of like 99% of iconic footballing quotes. Yeah, the actual quote is: Some people think that football is a matter of life or death. It's actually more important than that. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. think I've, yeah. I actually I definitely used that i i use that quote as the opener for my high school research paper which i wrote about uh the um the culture in colombia in 1992 when pablo escobar was at the peak of his powers and also um the colombian captain andres escobar was killed after scoring an own goal in the world cup and i i started i remember starting out the paper with that quote because of how prevalent it was to everything that transpired um in that country so that's that's one of my personal favorites yeah it's a good one for sure and uh, a deep quote as well in that in that sense in terms of how you wrote your paper what what grade did you get in your paper for that Zach? i got an a i worked i worked real hard on that one that was a, that was a good paper um okay. yeah and i pretty much just watched like the two escobars the 30 for 30 and kind of like tore that off because it gave me all the information i possibly could have could have needed for that paper can't be 30 for 30 man it's good stuff it's, it is good stuff it is good stuff uh but yeah football is far more important than a matter of life and death and that's why we've taken almost a full month to record our 78th podcast after our 77th episode traveling does that i i went home to connecticut to my to my place of origin for thanksgiving adam stayed put but had a quite eventful last few weeks that we don't need to necessarily dig into uh so we're glad to be back on on the horn for this one adam it's been it's been a fun uh beginning to the december fixture list with the fixtures piling up in what seems like three four day sequences for the next month and a half yeah, it's been a fun start um, end to November and start to December. Unless, of course, you're a fan of Newcastle United. The only... Of, Ever- of Everton Football Club. I guess you could lump Everton in there too, but we are still the only team in all four divisions without a win in England. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, up the Scunthorpe. I, I'm back on my old bandwagon. If if Newcastle is going to plummet through divisions without winning the game, I, I think I need to go back to where it all began for me. Yeah, I'm just going to become a Bournemouth fan again. Why not? They're doing pretty well in the championship. They are. They are indeed. Who's managing Bournemouth? Oh, God. It was John Woodgate, and then he left. And now I don't remember exactly who it is. Let me look that up, actually. Hold, please. Is it another f- former Newcastle defender? Is it Fabrizio Colaccini? It's not. It's not. 
Let's see. Is it Vernon Anita? Bournemouth FC. The current Sorry. manager. Do you want to take any guesses here? I, I did know this. I did this. I did know this too. He managed in the Premier League last season. Oh. Got relegated uh, last season. Uh, um, I don't know. Who is it? It is a former Newcastle player. Not a defender. What the heck? Three, two, one. Newcastle player. Yeah, who is it? Scotty Parker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Damn. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I forgot that he was not still at Fulham. Um, so, mm -hmm. oh, cool. Good for Scotty Parker. And then he'll you, become obviously... a pretty big yo yo manager. Yeah, he has. And he's still very young as well. I think you're you're going to see him go on to manage some big teams in the future. He's obviously getting some good um, good experience, I think, for, for some shittier teams. And he'll go on to manage some bigger clubs. But I like his brand of football. He's he's pretty good, pretty good coach. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you also heard, you heard about David Brooks as well, right? Yes, I did. In, in treatment for, was it lymphoma? Lymphoma, yeah. Cancer of the blood. So 24 years old terrible um couldn't believe it when i heard that news but you know again um some things are more important than football despite what bill shankley says exactly wow bringing it full circle on that one um yeah we again we, we're back after a bit of a hiatus and we we do have uh, a lot of football to to recap as well as a lot of football in front of us uh December, as I alluded to earlier, really the meat and potatoes, both the meat and potatoes of the Premier League season and, and kind of the, the time in which you, you find out who are contenders and who are pretenders. Um, and I think that is a good way to segue into uh, the beginning of our podcast, one of your first talking points. But before we do that, uh, Adam, do you want to toss out an EPL trivia for the week or are you going to include that or are we taking a hiatus on that as well? Oh no, we are we're good. We're gonna get back for our listeners our EPL trivia segment, and it's a good one for you this time. I'm gonna test your knowledge of international footballers who've played in the Premier okay. League. Which two Danish players are the only two Danish players to have scored more than thirty, more than three zero total goals in the Premier League? Hmm. All right, I like that. I okay. think I know one of them. Um, but yeah, I'll have to. That Erickson definitely did not score 30 goals in the Premier League. Okay, I will have to do some thinking. I I, I believe I know one of them, but uh, not two. So we'll we'll get back to that clue halfway through the podcast and then one more at the end. All right, sounds good. All right, let's get into our talking points for the pod today. Again, I've got two things I'm going to be bringing up for general discussion. You have two. We'll start with, I think, as we talked about pretenders. I think Newcastle are the ultimate <laughs> pretender right now. We're not pretending, though. We are bottom of the Premier League with seven points. So just to kind of give you a lay of the land right now, Newcastle sit bottom of the Premier League on seven points, six points from safety with Watford in 17th. Above us are Norwich and Burnley on 10 points. Norwich, who have in their last four games, won two and drawn two, have not lost in four. Burnley in their last five games, who have drawn four and won one, haven't lost in five sit above us in the league then you've got south watford on 13 points in 17th uh, southampton on 15 points 
Leeds on 15 points, and Everton's making 14th through 16th, all on 15 points currently. So we're six points off the pace here. We've got some tough fixtures upcoming. And um, I think the most recent talking points have been the appointment of Eddie Howe, which we talked about in the last podcast. We were very excited for his debut um, as manager against Brentford. And a day before, of course, that debut happened, we got the news out that Eddie Howe had been diagnosed with COVID-19 and was going to need to quarantine from the squad. So this might be the most Newcastle thing ever. New coach comes in, uh, is leading training, everything's looking really exciting, is saying all the right things. He's going to get his home bow against Brentford. We're thinking that's going to be a massive game that we can go ahead and win. And then all of a sudden, We've got Jason Tyndall leading the team on the touchline, on the phone, talking to Eddie Howe, and that game ended up being a 3-3 draw. Now, I will say, Zach, I was very entertained by that game. Um, it was very much a must-win game. We didn't win it, but there were a lot of positives, wouldn't you say, that came out of that performance in terms of how we set ourselves up and how Eddie Howe's team looked at a first glance against Brentford. Without a doubt, it, you saw both uh, a little bit more structure offensively. I, I won't say that there was any any more defensive structure than there ever was uh, under Steve Bruce. We're still at a complete lack where, where there uh, pertains to kind of defensive stability or, or defensive formations in any sort of ways. But, um, you know, we saw how play uh, kind of a 3-4-3 a three, three that was a little bit more like a 4 uh, a Four two at times it was a little bit more like a four three three at times. Um, you know, you you had Joe Linton, Alan St. Maximin, and Callum Wilson up top, kind of exchanging positions quite uh, often. And it was a it, it was an encouraging performance, as you mentioned. It, it certainly was a lot better than most of what we've seen this year. But again, the tail of the tape is is still unable to get three points in a match. Uh, we followed that match with a loss at Arsenal. A little bit to be expected, even though they're coming off that that five 0 loss to Liverpool. Arsenal is uh, a a team in a really good run of form this season, um, and also we have a horrible record away at the Emirates over the last ten seasons or so. Um, and then I, I would say most disappointingly was the game against Norwich on on the midweek on on Tuesday, uh, having you know a really really great opportunity to get the first victory of the season at home. It was. How's debut um, at St. James's Park and and essentially ruined within nine minutes with Kieran Clark dragging down Timu Puki after giving away the ball cheaply, uh, really turning that game on its head. And Newcastle, despite going up uh, on a penalty by Callum Wilson, still, I, I would say, fortunate to come out of that game with a point in hand, you know, playing 81 minutes down a man. Uh, you're, you're rarely expecting to get a victory. So still elusive uh, and... You know, I, I'd say at this point, the, the game against Burnley on Saturday is as much a must win as you could possibly imagine. I, I think two points from uh, the two games against our, our fellow uh, relegation zone, um, I guess, compatriots uh, is not nearly enough. So uh, if, if the Norwich game quickly became a non-must win after a red card, uh, it doesn't matter how many people get sent off for Newcastle. We need to be winning against Burnley on the weekend. Yep. Yep, I agree. And Burnley, despite the fact they're in the bottom three, have actually conceded less goals this season than Manchester United have. Um, so and Leicester as well. So I think, you know, they'll be 
it won't be an easy game whatsoever. You brought up a couple things there, um, and I want to dig in a little bit on the defensive side of things. You mentioned Kieran Clark, obviously hauling down Team Ipuki for the red card against Norwich and changing the whole complexion of that game. What I thought was interesting was um, Eddie Howe came out like any good manager and, of course, publicly defended the um, the sending off and said, look, it was a mistake. Um, uh, everybody's capable of making mistakes. And, you know, we move on to the next game and we lost our game plan there. But I heard reports today, um, mouth of the time on Twitter, actually, um, Justin, friend of the pod, sent this over to me. And, the, and the, the tweet that was sent out there was hearing that Eddie Howe was furious with Kieran Clark behind the scenes last night. Harsh words were said, and he was advised to apologize to the fans today. Interesting, interesting take there. Um, I feel like Eddie Howe is that sort of manager who would publicly come out and defend his players and apologize on behalf of them, but then behind closed doors probably wasn't very happy. Do, do you think there's maybe some truth to that, to that tweet there? I would hope there's truth to that. I, I would hope that he's not actually, you know, going to Kieran Clark and saying it's that's all right. It was just a mistake. I mean that that cost Newcastle even the the possibility of getting three points. And even with having Kieran Clark sent off, Newcastle looked the better side the majority of the first half and parts of the second half. So uh, I I would hope that there isn't any sort of leniency on you know. Kieran Clark, who's now going to be suspended after a straight red, losing his place in the team almost entirely going forward. And uh, he has been a, a subject of uh, dismay for Newcastle fans a lot of this season. And uh, a lot of people were looking at that game as one that Federico Fernandez should be starting, especially with Jamal LaSalle's out on his own suspension. And the fact that, you know, the the decision to, to keep Clark in the lineup backfired immediately just reproves that point. And it makes you wonder now that, LaSalle's is going to be back in. Is he going to be uh, starting alongside uh, Fabian Scher in, in a four-man defense? Or are you going to play three center backs with Federico Fernandez coming in uh, alongside those two? It'll be really interesting to see what, how we line up against Burnley, a team that, as you mentioned, has a really good defensive record and is never known for necessarily their offensive prowess, but it is known for a lot of physicality up top. Yeah, agree. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Should should Jamal LaSalle's even be starting at this point, let alone be our club captain, right? Callum Wilson, as we talked about a few podcasts ago, wore the captain's armband against Norwich. I thought led the line very well, despite not getting great service up top. I don't think he's looked fantastic recently. I feel like he's just kind of coming back into some fitness there. But back to LaSalle's, do you think that a Newcastle team is better off with him in it or not in it at this point? It's tough. I, I think it's matchup dependent. I, I think that Jamal LaSalle's is, he he's a good leader. He, he does have what I would view as a pretty high footballing IQ, but in the modern game where center backs typically have one, if not both of two things, they're either good on the ball, which LaSalle's is not, and Fabian Cher is, um, or they're really strong in the air, which Jamal LaSalle's is better in the air than he is with the ball, but he's not any sort of, you know, aerial presence. Um, and Federico Fernandez is a, a player that is a little bit better in the air. So it does beg the question, like, what what is the point of having LaSalle's out there if you need to have that kind of what has now become this modern uh, combination of, of two center backs? Um, and I, I think 
going up against Burnley, I would start Fernandez if he's fit, if he's looking good in practice, because I do think he brings a bit more of a physical presence than Lascelles does. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's tough. I, I personally would give Dubravka the captain's armband um, myself. I, I don't think Callum Wilson has played well recently. I think he looked he looked particularly poor against Arsenal, where he looked to have maybe not dove, but gone down really, really softly on a, a potential one-on-one opportunity with Ramsdale. Um, I, I think Dubravka should be the captain. You're right. I, I think that Lascelles should be on the cusp of, of getting benched uh, if – Fernandez is, you know, is match fit and ready to go. Yeah, that said, I think Cher had a very uh, big mistake at the end of the game against Norwich where he was faffing about with the ball um, and got robbed. And if it weren't for Martin Dubravka in that one-on-one, we would have lost that game. It would have been a massive, massive loss for us against against Norwich. So I don't I don't think any of our defenders are perfect. Um, I, I see your point. I think at this point, I'd probably like to see Sharon Fernandez as the as the mm-hmm. back two, just because I do think they looked a little bit more solid. But granted, they were playing Norwich, and I thought they were kind of poor um, on the goal as well. I thought he was Puki was given too much time, and that ball should have been cleared. But I digress. Yeah. Plenty of opportunity on the defensive side of the game. Just in general about Newcastle, though, we're now 14 games to start the season without a win. No team, Zach, in Premier League history has ever gone 14 without a win to start a season and stayed up. So here's the million-dollar question, of course can Newcastle? I think they can. I I think not necessarily because we have offered that many things that that could be looked at as inspiring, but just because of how tight the table is right now. And again, this is what I was saying before of December really creates that separation uh, with so many fixtures packed into a four-week period. But at the moment, Newcastle, despite having not won a game, is only six points back of Watford in 17th. uh, And everybody in the bottom half of the table is under 20 points at the moment after 13 or 14 games, depending on the club. So there is so much, uh, so so little breathing room, I think, between teams in in that lower half of the table right now that Newcastle could very well uh, start kind of clawing their way out. But again, I, I think three points on the weekend is of the utmost importance you can't you can't play the two teams above you in the relegation zone and only get one or two points and expect to survive i think if we can't beat burnley that's where i start getting really really concerned because um despite everybody you know just saying all right well january will come around and we'll replace you know the the players who have been who have been disappointing in our lineup i i i have a lot of hesitancy to believe that we're going to be able to attract uh, you know the top level players that a lot of the fans are calling for uh, a team in the relegation zone, a team uh, that has not been very stable for you know 14 years at this point. Uh, I think people are quite underestimating how hard of a sell it will be uh, for Eddie Howe to go to players who might be on better teams, not even, not even talking about like champions league teams, but even better teams in the premier league or in uh, foreign leagues and convincing them to, to kind of get on board this ship that is so you know so heavily shaking at the moment yeah i think you're you bring up a great point and my thought process on that is you know either way we're going to be in the bottom three i think come christmas there's there's no doubt in my mind with the fixture list we have coming up and the fact that we're six points off the pace so by the time new year's rolls around i I think we kind of almost have to go domestic i don't think we'll have the clout then to be able to bring in any kind of higher name international players um, from outside of the Premier League. I think we're going to be looking at players 
that are either established Premier League players uh, sitting on the bench for higher up the table teams, or maybe looking at some talented championship players to come in and make a difference for us that are hungry to succeed. I just, I, I don't think we'll, we won't spend 200 million in January because there won't be 200 million worth of players that want to come to our club. Exactly. And another question that it can arise is, you know, all these rumors coming out that other Premier League clubs are essentially colluding against Newcastle and saying, we're not going to, we're pretty much going to refuse to sell any players to this team that is, is, you know, for a lot of reasons, kind of becoming the, uh, the, the evil empire of the Premier League. Uh, I think, I think that, you know, who, who knows if that's real and if those discussions are actually being had between clubs, but uh, if there is any, you know, any kind of iota of truth there, again, it'll just be infinitely harder to to pry uh, valued players away from from clubs that we are competing against in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, so lots of food for thought there on Newcastle. My other topic for today, Zach, was uh, the announcement of the Ballon d'Or this week. Um, lots of people saying that they were upset that Lionel Messi won the Ballon d'Or based on the last. I guess it's 11 months that he's had. Um, he's won it for a record seventh time. The only player, in fact, in history to have won it seven times. Cristiano Ronaldo shortly behind him on five wins overall. A um, lot of kind of big name players, past and present, have come out. Some of the top ones, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Tony Cruz, both coming out and saying, while Messi is a great, they don't think he deserved it on this occasion. And several fans calling for Robert Lewandowski, 45 goals in 35 games yep. for Bayern in the Bundesliga last season, breaking the Bundesliga scoring record, and many thinking that Jorginho um, was somebody that should have won it. My question for you, Zach, is do you think it was the right decision? And if not, who do you think was the, the truly deserving player that should have won this? I think Lewandowski has a really, really good case for the Ballon d'Or. I mean, the fact that they made up a new award for scorer of the year just to, you know, placate him when they were seemingly always going to give it to Lionel Messi almost almost confirms that that Lewandowski was probably the rightful winner. Um, I I mean, it, it's difficult because I I think that I, I I do think that Lewandowski's accomplishments in the Bundesliga do get overlooked in, in some capacity, partially because of how dominant Bayern is in that league and, and partially because the Bundesliga just simply does not get as many eyes as the Premier League and La Liga and, uh, you know, I guess now the French League, although Messi, you know, pretty much won that award on the back of his season, his last season with Barcelona, um, as well as his, his time with Argentina in the summer. And I think that's the one thing that people are somewhat discounting here is, that Lionel Messi did lead uh, Argentina to the Copa America in the summer, which is, um, you know, if there's any knock on Lionel Messi over the years, it's it's been the fact that he has stumbled or his his country has stumbled at at the highest um, at the highest level. So, I I think that it's a coin flip between Messi and Lewandowski. Um, I think the in terms of club accomplishments, Lewandowski should have that award, but uh, I I don't think it's necessarily you know the the highway robbery that a lot of people have have labeled it is that that Messi won it. Um, that being said, Jorginho, yeah. Jorginho, I think I think the fact that Jorginho was third is more ridiculous than anybody saying that Jorginho should have won it. I don't think Jorginho mm -hmm. should have been third in in that voting. Like anybody who's saying that he should have been higher than third is absolutely out of their mind. 
<laughs> I mean, he won he won the Euros with Italy, right? And I think, you know, I, I agree with you that Lewandowski is probably the deserving winner here. I thought he had a good Euros as well. Let's be honest, Poland are never going to win a major trophy, are they? They, just, they don't have the talent in that team. So um, I, I think I think that his domestic form was great, and I thought he did well on an international scale as well and was probably deserving of it. But I, I digress. I guess the last point I want to make here on the Ballon d'Or is we didn't have it last year because of COVID. I didn't particularly miss it myself. Um, 2021, how relevant is this award in modern day football? There, I, I think it's becoming increasingly less relevant. I, I don't think, you know, like it may, maybe it'll kind of reclaim its relevancy once you know, the time of Lionel Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo has passed and, and we are, you know, we're forced to be on to, to new, to new winners. Although obviously Luka Modric broke that streak uh, after the incredible performance he had in, in Euros just a few minutes ago. But I, I don't think it's necessarily that highly regarded of an award throughout the footballing world um, because it does kind of seem like a bit of a popularity contest. There's not there's never been any sort of kind of defined measures by which players are judged uh, to, to determine who is winning the award. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It, it's difficult to to really say how much individual players care about it, but it doesn't seem as though the award is as prestigious as, as FIFA and UEFA might want it to be. I agree. I'll leave you with one final thing here on the Ballon d'Or. Um, there was a user on Instagram who posted the following. And who does the prize go to? To Messi, who only won the Copa del Rey with Barcelona and hasn't scored a goal against Real Madrid since Cristiano Ronaldo left. Disappeared in the big games of the season, won the Copa America that was supposed to be every four years like they do practically every year. He didn't score in the final or the semifinal, and he's been having a weak season with PSG individually. And somebody who liked that post and commented with facts Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> the Twitterverse speaks truths, my friend. Then in, yeah. in that case, if 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 uh, soccer fan one seven two 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 has that opinion and, and Cristiano <laughs> Ronaldo holds it, then who am I to who am I to, to give my opinion? That that's embarrassing of me. Yeah, I think there. You know, he's obviously um, uh, he's behind on five right now, and obviously with the age, he's never going to catch Messi with seven. I don't think anybody else will really get close to that um in the future maybe maybe holland in the future might be somebody that that could do that but for now i mean not even really in the in the running yeah absolutely i mean messi himself even said that it probably should have gone to Lewandowski. so I, that yeah. speaks to how little they really care about it i mean he's one of seven so he he already has the record he's the best player of all time to a lot of people and yeah, it was probably a nice thing for him to win, and he went home and, and put it next to the other six trophies. Mark, mark your calendars, listener. This time next year, December 2022, we'll be talking about Messi's eighth Ballon d'Or after he plays 100%. only three months of the season <laughs> in his old scores, age. Yeah, he scores six <laughs> goals in eight games and <laughs> wins the Ballon d'Or unanimously. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, what do you got for me today, sir? You got a couple couple top talking points yourself, I believe. Yeah, so so I'm going to keep this uh, intentional, well, not intentionally, but I'm I'm going to I guess get this back to the Premier League. Although it always is good to kind of expand our our chats to 
to more of world football uh, at least once in a while. Um, I want to talk about a team on the other end of the table uh, from Newcastle United, technically not at the polar end of the table as Chelsea is in first place in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, but I want to talk about Liverpool, uh, the team that is currently the highest scoring team in the Premier League uh, with 43 goals in 14 matches. 43 goals in 14 matches. Uh, after a 4-1 win in the Merseyside Derby today, Liverpool averaging now over three goals a match, which puts them on pace to score 100 and 16 goals this season, 10 better than Manchester City's record of 106 that they set excuse me, in the 2017-18 season. Um, and it's it's a talking point, Adam, that's, that's being talked about by pretty much everybody who follows the Premier League right now. But I do think it, it is important for us as a Premier League podcast to dedicate time to, to just look at and appreciate what an offensive an attacking juggernaut this Liverpool team is. And the fact that they seem to just go from strength to strength every single year, uh, it, it's pretty astounding to watch. Every, every single player on that team is a goal threat at pretty much all points in time during a match. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we were critical, and I was especially critical last season of the form of Liverpool. They had some really they didn't have many attacking related injuries they had more defensive related injuries last season and they really struggled to um to put together the same sort of attacking seasons that they have in the past and now since they've got Virgil van Dijk back they seem to be more solid at the back more compact only 12 goals conceded so far this season that's less than a goal a game um, and they're looking much more solid from the back and they're building on that and I think what we've seen so far this season not only has been again fantastic form from Mosala, who is, you know, top of the scoring charts right now and four ahead of Jamie Vardy in second place, but I think we've really seen the emergence of Diego Jota um, as a as a real player to break that triumvirate that we've seen previously of Mane, Salah, and Firmino. Now, Firmino himself is on four goals in eight games so far far this season, so he's he's doing pretty well. He's not really known for for being the, the higher goal scorer among the, the attacking side of Liverpool. Um, but when you look at that front four and really how well Diogo Jota is doing in terms of holding his own amongst those top-class players, this is a scary, scary Liverpool attack right now. It really are. Jota, it was interesting. When he, when he came over from Wolves, uh, I believe it was 18 months ago, I, it, there were a lot of questions that I had of, like, what what is he adding? What is he improving about this Liverpool attack that they didn't have with Firmino? Because as you said, Firmino not known for a high goal tally, but is to an educated eye, so instrumental in kind of facilitating and, and organizing the attack that, that Liverpool has. And with a number of injuries that Firmino has picked up, I mean, Jota has, has stepped in and, and done it so, so impressively. It's I believe 11 goals in 20 matches uh, since, or no, no, excuse me. It's 20, 20 goals in 38 matches since uh, coming to Liverpool. Uh, his goal today against Everton was spectacular, taking the ball on his right foot, kind of turning between his own legs, uh, leaving the Everton defender for dust, and then looking up and beating Pickford uh, high to the roof of the net at the front post. Just shows the intelligence he has as a striker, 
um, and and the ability that he has, you know, when, once getting the ball, he he's just looking to score at every opportunity. Um, so yeah, it's it's been really really impressive to see how honestly their attack is better with him in the team uh, than with Firmino, who who wasn't taking anything away from it himself. No, he, to your point, that goal today, he put that away like he meant it. He really put his foot through it and just hammered it into the top of the net. It was a, it was a quality finish. And I think this Liverpool team are are just clicking and gelling so well right now. Um, we talked a couple uh, weeks ago on the pod about Liverpool and Chelsea potentially being the two teams that we think are going to be outstanding at the top of the league. Um, and I still think they'll be up there, but there does seem to be now a clear sign that Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool on 33, 32, and 31 points respectively seem to be that top three that are going to be breaking away from the pack, leaving West Ham in 24 points in fourth place, seven points off the, the third place position. What What is the realistic target for Liverpool this season? Do you think that they can reclaim their, their Premier League crown? Definitely. I, I think that as you kind of just mentioned, I think Liverpool has as good a chance as, as Chelsea and City. I, I think it'll probably be City and Liverpool uh, go going at it on maybe even the final weekend. I, I think that Chelsea is a phenomenal football club. You know, we saw that with the, the Champions League title they won last season. But I, I don't know, there's something about, you know, the confidence and the experience that Liverpool and, and Manchester City are exuding right now, both uh, have won three and four matches consecutively, uh, respectively, uh, between the two. Um, whereas Chelsea has stumbled a bit recently. They have two draws in their last five matches, despite still not uh, dropping uh, a game into a loss. But I, I think it'll be City and Liverpool pending any sort of injuries. Um, uh, but it, it, it's just like watching Liverpool play and watching the speed at which they attack and the the preciseness at which they attack it. It's just really, really remarkable. Um, not only, as I said before, the team on pace to break the Premier League goal record, but Mohamed Salah on pace to break his own scoring record. Um, he's currently on pace for 37 goals this season after scoring 13 in his first 14 matches, uh, which would break his own record of 35 goals he set uh, just a couple of years ago. Um, and yeah, I, I think that they're potentially the best offensive, the best attacking team we've ever seen in the Premier League. And we, we talked about this a bit before Adam in a previous pod, but I think Mohamed Salah is continuing to prove that he, he's going to go probably go down as one of, one of, if not the best a single attacking force in the Premier League history. Yep, absolutely. I think sometimes you forget to appreciate those players as, as much as you do while they're in there. You know, we talk, I talk back at least about the David Beckham's, the Thierry Henry's, the Ruud van Nistelrooy's when I was when I was growing up, and I think in the moment you don't always appreciate them. Listeners, take a moment right now to stop and appreciate the brilliance of Mo Salah and what he is doing consistently on the Premier League on a season by season basis, because this guy is world class. Two more goals today against Everton, and just phenomenal finishes for both. Uh, made, made him look made difficult finishes look easy. Um, and that's what he does on a on a game by game basis for Liverpool. 
Liverpool so entertaining that we even have to tip our caps to the Mackham that is Jordan Henderson, uh, the player who did no. get the fourth goal today and no. an assist for, for Mo Salah's first. Oh, I love Jordan Henderson. I think he's such a good, he's such a good player, man. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's hard to 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 support the Sunderland-born captain of Liverpool, but oh, he is magnificent out there. Yep, he's fantastic. Um, and I think you, you, you've transitioned us nicely into um, our, our next topic. Speaking of one Sunderland player, there was another one on the other side of the field tonight who had a not very good game, Mr. Jordan Pickford for Everton. Zach, I believe you've got some, some things you want to get off your chest about Everton Football Club. Yeah, so that is a, a perfect segue into my second talking point, which is Everton Football Club's absolutely dismal form in the Premier League right now. Adam, you mentioned it before, Everton now dropping into 14th in the Premier League table, only five points above the relegation zone. They are winless in their last eight matches. Um, and let me read some stats out for you today, uh, or for, for you right now, Adam. Winless in their last eight in that run, Everton has scored five goals and conceded 17. So they are averaging about a goal every two games and averaging to concede two goals every single match. Uh, there's a lot to point at here. Um, I, I think one thing that does need to be mentioned is the really, really brutal run of injuries that Everton players have suffered this season. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has missed 13 consecutive matches. Andre Gomez has missed 10. And Yuri Mina has missed six matches. All of these injuries still continuing. Uh, those those streaks are, are counting up with every game that is played. And those are three players that several or more than several, many weeks last season, uh, three starters in that team. Calvert-Lewin particularly uh, was pretty much always in that team when healthy and Gomez and Yuri Mina slotting in in midfield and defense. So it's it's been a really tough situation at Everton, but I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of open this up to you, Adam. Do you, do you think the injuries are entirely to blame on uh, the blue side of Merseyside, or, or do you think that there are a few larger issues at hand uh, at Goodison Park? I think there are definitely larger issues at hand. I think the injuries haven't helped. I think Rafa Benitez, the players that he's brought in have been underwhelming just in terms of the names of the signings, Damari Gray, um, bringing in, um, bringing in Solomon Rondon, bringing in um, other players like Townsend, who he's played with previously. You know, when you last season were as an Everton fan, welcoming James Rodriguez to your team, those are very underwhelming signings. Um, so I do think there's an element of injuries having hurt them. Calvert-Lewin's a huge loss for any team, as you know, I'm a big fan of his. Gomez and Mina have been big players for Everton over the years. But to your point, I think there's more going on there. And I actually had a good conversation over text with a friend of mine, Pricey, who um, I got to see back in October when I was in the UK. And humor me for a second here. Uh, I My message to him was, see you in the championship next year. And he responded on a little bit of a rant and said, it's expected since Robbie Martinez's first season, we've been utter shite and it's getting worse. The club is rotten to the core, very bad decisions being made, half a billion spent, spent since our new chairman arrived and we've ended up with Solomon Rondon as our lone striker. Sooner or later, the club staff will realize that he doesn't move. 
And you know, it just goes Rondon, to show. Rondon, right? Rondon, a, a Newcastle fan favorite, has been horrible for Everton. I, I will Zero say goals. he is. He does. He does nothing out there. He's the new Rian Brewster. Um, yeah, no goals, no goals since he's arrived from from the Chinese league. And um, and then Darren Farley, who you know, a big fan of, who's done a, a couple little segments for the pod before here, um, made a joke about them playing a 95 year old lone striker from the Chinese league up top. That's about right. <laughs> It just, I mean, you think about the promise that Everton had a season ago with Ancelotti, with James Rodriguez in the side, with how well, how good they looked with, and Richarlison's had some injuries this season, but with Richarlison and Dominic Carvalho up top, it looked like a team. Remember, they got that draw 3-3 against Liverpool and we're in a highly competitive game a season on now. They're getting drubbed 4-1 at home, not competing in that Goals are going in. Rafa's not even reacting. He's talking to his assistants and they're looking at their laptops and their tablets. And it just is a mess of a football club right now. And and the last thing I'll say here is next four games for Everton before Christmas, Arsenal at home, Palace away, Chelsea away, Leicester at home. Not getting really much easier for, for Rafa Benitez's Everton, is it? There's not much. There's not much to, to scrounge at there. Um, so, so then I, I guess, like to to kind of close out the book on Everton and on on Rafa particularly, like I I hesitate to blame him necessarily, but you you do get the feeling that it may have been a mistake for him to even take this job, right? Not not only with the history that he has with Liverpool Football Club, uh, but also just you know, walking into a project that was not necessarily, you know, a, a project for him to kind of take ownership of. Uh, it, it, I just wonder if it was, you know, if if hindsight being 2020, he, he should have kind of uh, perhaps shopped out a little bit more uh, for another position in another league. Yeah, I think part of it was Rafa has a home in Liverpool. And I think that worked out very well for him. You know, his family yeah. is there. Um, so I think that, that, that made sense. Should he have taken the job? Probably not. I mean, look, look at how Bruce was welcomed at Newcastle or not welcomed, so to speak, because he is a former Sunderland manager, right? I think, you know, it's, it's similar here for Benitez. He's a Liverpool legend as a manager. He's won champions leagues for them. And, you know, I just, I just think that in general, it was a place where he was never truly going to be accepted. And I don't see him lasting the season here, Zach. I really, I really don't. Not, not with the way they're playing right now. It doesn't look like, you know, I mean, maybe Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes in and they win a couple of games, but this isn't an Everson team that's going to finish in the top half of the table. Like you can quote me on that right now. They will finish bottom half this season. If you, you listed those next four fixture, fixtures for Everton, what is it? Arsenal, Palace, is it Liverpool and... Uh, they, just, they, just, they just played Liverpool. So it's Arsenal, Palace, uh, Chelsea, me, and yes. Chelsea, and Leicester. Che- Le- Leicester is what tripped me up there. Leicester, Liverpool. Uh, I'll ask you, if, if Everton loses all four of those games, did not pick up a single point, do you think that Rafa Benitez is the manager going into the next year? I don't. I, I don't think that, no. I think that Rafa Benitez will be gone by Christmas if they fail to pick up at least half the points from those games. Arsenal Ooh. at home. Palace away, Chelsea away, Leicester at home. Leicester, poor form this season. Palace, a team that Everton should be going to and winning at. Arsenal, 
you could argue that that they should have a good shot in that game and Chelsea away. I don't think you see them getting anything there, but there's there's points to be had there. They're good enough to do it. They've got the the players to do it, especially with some of them coming back into full fitness right now. And I think a manager like Rafa Benitez should be taking a bigger return from those games. Absolutely. I think that is a, a fair assessment of the situation with with uh with Newcastle legend Rafa Benitez and and Newcastle not legend, but Newcastle fan favorite Solomon Rondon. <laughs> yeah, there was a joke that um, Darren Farley was making um, as he was doing his Rafa Benitez impression, Agent Benitez, of course. Um, he basically said the, the plan was for Benitez to be gone by Christmas, Big Dunk to come in as manager to take Everton down, and then Eddie Howe to get fired at the end of the season and Rafa Benitez to have his homecoming to his beloved Toon Harmy. I was listening to the Men in Blazers podcast yesterday, and uh, Roger Bennett uh, is a noted Everton supporter, uh, and he, you know he was he was kind of wallowing in the sorrow of being an Everton fan right now. And and Davo, the other host of the Men in Blazers podcast, uh, was saying Big Dunk is the man that you need to be bringing in at the moment. He was fantastic as an interim manager, and uh, perhaps is the only person who could light a fire under this team. Uh, and I think I think he's not far from the truth there. I think he's, I think Big Dunk is very like Paolo Di Canio in a lot of ways. Like he's the sort of kind of mm. player that you can come in and make a bit of an immediate impact, but in the longer term, he'll get found out. Paolo Di Canio without the, uh, the neo-Nazi tendencies is, is how I would describe Duncan Ferguson. All I remember Paolo Di Canio for is his sliding on his knees celebration when Sunderland beat Newcastle. And I will always hate him for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Adam. Clue number one for the EPL trivia, and then let's take a quick break. I need to. I need to get a glass of water. All this talking is getting my mouth quite quite parched. All right. Well, let's see how you do here with your first clue. So, which two Danish players have scored more than thirty total goals in the Premier League each? Your first clue, Zach, is both players have also scored thirty or more goals for Denmark in their international careers. So, not just good scores in the Premier League. A good international goal scorers as well. Oh wow. Wow, wow, wow. All right. Okay. I still think I know one of them. <laughs> yeah. That's not getting me any closer, but I do like that clue. I I'll give it I'll give it some thought as I as I place the ice cubes in my water glass. All right, sounds good. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. All right, welcome back to the second half of the False Nines. We're getting back to you with some False Nine staples. We're going to wrap up the pod here today with Armchair Pundits, 10 and 90, and then I will give my EPL trivia answer for you. Zachary, Armchair Pundits, would you like to go first or second this week? I'm going to go second, Adam, because I'm I'm hitting hard with my, my punditry. All right, I am not going to hit as hard. I wanted to find a way to tie in today because we didn't speak about it in our talking points this, the firing of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the appointment since of Ralph Ragnick um, on an interim basis through the end of the season. My armchair pundits for today, uh, they sit in 10th right now, is that Manchester United will fail to qualify for the Champions League this year. Um, maybe not surprising to a lot of folks. Um, okay. That said, okay. they're, they're only six points off the top four currently. Um and there's only, I do think there's only one spot to play for. We mentioned it already. Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool seem to be pulling away from the rest of the pack. So you see that there's only going to be one additional spot up for grabs. There are some really good teams 
that are in and around that. Arsenal are in great form right now. Um, the Liverpool loss aside, they've looked fantastic. West Ham stumbling a little bit, but um, going to be there or thereabouts. Our, uh, our Wolves in sixth place in fantastic form. And um, tip of the hat there to Wolves on the season. I think they've been they've been looking fantastic, keeping it very tight defensively and starting to score a few more more goals now up in sixth place. Leicester are going to come good. Tottenham have appointed Con- uh, Antonio Conte as well. So um, I think that Liver- uh, excuse me, I think that Manchester United are really going to struggle to regain um, fourth spot this season after having a couple of really good seasons here. They're certainly not going to win the Champions League. That's another way they could get into it. Um, and that's my armchair pundit. No Manchester United in the Champions League next year. No, I, I do like that one. It was, it was, it was a safe. That's a safe punditry, Adam. But I, I think one that will come true. Uh, Ralph Ragnick, an interesting appointment uh, to people not as familiar with him. Uh, a pretty legendary figure in German football, but uh, a man who has never managed outside of uh, Eastern Europe. He is coming uh, over from Locomotive Moscow, where he was the director of football. So, in fact, a, a man who actually isn't currently uh, or was not a, a manager prior to his appointment at uh, Manchester United. He he last managed RP Leipzig back in 2019. Uh, but somebody that it seems like they are hiring to become their director of football after this season ends, kind of like holding, uh, you know, holding the fort until then. I, I, I would agree with you. I think that so much is going wrong at Manchester United right now. Uh, the fact that we are almost a decade out from Alex Ferguson's retirement and they still have not hired a consistently successful manager just speaks to how entirely inept the front office is at Manchester United. Um, and yeah, I think that despite having a lot of talent individually on the pitch, we're still not seeing the cohesive unit uh, that would be needed to get into the Champions League. You're not going to get, you're not going to get into the top four, you know, kind of on a a seedier pants type play. You're going to have to have a a really compact and and defined team identity. And Manchester United has anything about that. So yeah, I really I do like uh, that opinion and think that it will ring true. All right. Uh, what do you got for me today, sir? All right, Adam, you could not have set me up any better for this one. Uh, I, was, oh, great. I was trying to hold, I was trying to hold in my smile as you, as you ran down the Premier League table and listed all of the teams above Manchester United. Uh, and <laughs> funnily enough, focusing the majority of your words on the team that I want to ch- chat about, which is Wolves. Uh, you praising Wolves, saying that they're really impressive right now. Uh, and Adam, my armchair pundits for today, Wolves, who are currently sitting in sixth place, will be closer to the relegation zone than to the top four by mid-January. Ooh, okay. Let's 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 hear it. I, I actually, yeah, I don't like I don't like this one, but let me hear your justification for it. Sh- sure. So, so you you did speak on uh, a few things that that are true about Wolves. Uh, in in fourteen matches, they actually have only conceded twelve goals, putting them in uh, the top, uh, not the top of the Premier League in terms of goals allowed, but right up there behind Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, that being said, it's also important to mention that they've only scored twelve goals, so they they actually have a completely neutral goal differential. Uh, 12 goals in 14 matches uh, puts them with a lower goal tally than 
Newcastle United Football Club. Uh, not a team that you want to be falling behind in, in any capacity at the moment. Uh, so a, a few things to look at for the 14 matches that Wolves have played uh, so far this year. As I mentioned, they're the third lowest scoring team. Uh, only Norwich and Spurs actually have scored less goals than them. But another interesting thing to point out uh, is that in their first 14 matches this season, there are only two teams that Wolves have played who are currently in the top half of the table, and that is Spurs and Manchester United, currently sitting in ninth and 10th, so kind of bottoming out the top half of the table. Wolves have played no teams eighth or above uh, when looking at the current um, Premier League table. So despite the fact that they have only conceded 12 goals, again, they've only scored 12 goals against the lower part of the Premier League. And their next seven matches between today, uh, which is December 1st, and January 3rd, runs as follows. They play Liverpool, Manchester City, Brighton, Chelsea, Watford, Arsenal, and Manchester United. So going from only playing two teams in the upper half of the table to only playing one team in Watford that is currently sitting below 10th in the Premier League table, uh, games against Liverpool and City back-to-back. Chelsea, so you play the top three teams in the table in the span of four week, or four matches, and Brighton stuck right in the middle there, a team that has really overperformed this season. I would say of that potential 21 points, I don't see Wolves getting more than a possible five, although I could also see them getting less than that tally. Uh, and yeah, they are currently only three points behind the top four, but that being said, only 11 points above the bottom three, all conclusions, watch this space. I think Wolves is going to plummet and plummet fast. Well, you, you certainly did your homework there. Kudos, sir. Um, I'm, I'm impressed with that. I will say that Wolves are already on 21 points for the season in sixth place right now. So already over halfway to safety in the Premier League after 14 games, I don't see them being in relegation trouble but the way you worded it in terms of being closer to the relegation zone than the top four with that fixture list i think you you've made a good few valid points there yeah i just you know numbers speak quite loudly and i think the fact that they have only mustered 12 goals against pretty much all of the bottom feeders in the premier league is is very concerning yeah okay all right i like that one that's nice nice justification there all right, for 10 and 90, would you like to go first or second, Zach? I'll go second again. I, I don't want to I don't want to kind of run the table here in terms of uh, a talking time on the podcast. All right, sounds good. My 10 and 90 here is on a topic that we discussed in the podcast already. It's on the Ballon d'Or. I want to see how much you know about that competition. Ah, the Balloon d'Or. Let's do yeah, it. The Balloon d'Or, the golden boot, if you will. Um, what was what soon excuse me question one what year was the inaugural <laughs> award for the ballon d'or um I'll give you give five, me years, five, five years yeah, I, I was gonna say uh 1974 a little bit earlier than that 1958 was the first one Ooh. And the ah. first winner was Sir Stanley Matthews um who was a player at Blackpool at the time legend first, First ever winner of the Ballon d'Or tournament was a Blackpool player. Balloon d'Or. Well done, sir. I don't know if you know this, but maybe we'll give it a go. It's a 1994 question. Um, So we'll we'll, we'll go there. Give you that clue. Who's the only Mm -hmm. Bulgarian player 
to have ever won the Ballon d'Or. Puskas. He was Hungarian, so that is no. Oh, oh I'm yeah. so close. I was so close in the name of the, wonder, of the country. I wonder if you've heard of this player, Hristo Stoichkov. No. Stoichkov. Nah. I, I know right. zero players who played before I was born in 1995. I couldn't name you one player, even though I talked about Andres Escobar earlier in the podcast today. <laughs> True that. Well, I know that you're a big Northern Ireland fan. So Zach, yes. who is the only Northern Irish Northern player Ireland. to have won the award? I know you are. Yeah, the Nor Don't you call them the Northern Ireland or something? Yeah, like up the Northern yeah. Iron. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, George Best. Absolutely. 1968, George Best, the only Northern Irish player. Uh, no Scottish players, no Welsh players have won it. No Irish players have let's, won it. Let's, let's, let's hope it stays that way. Yep. Actually, that's not true. But technically, um, no, no, that is true. Sorry, I was thinking of Jack Charlton. Bobby Charlton um, won it as an Englishman. Jack Charlton was actually born in Ireland, represented Ireland um, as well. All right, Ooh, question number four. Who was the last player not named Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, or Luka Modric <laughs> to win the Ballon d'Or? Oh, um, Kaká. Correct, in 2007. Well done, sir. Uh, question number five. Which Brazilian player has won the most Ballon d'Or awards? Oh, it's funny you say that because when you said 1958, I was thinking... Is it Pelé or Garincha who won that uh, that inaugural Ballon d'Or? Um, is it Ronaldinho? You're so close. Do you want to have another crack at it? Yeah. If it's if it's not Ronaldinho and I'm so close, it's probably Ronaldo. Correct. It was Ronaldo. He won it in 1997 and 2002. Uh, Ronaldinho has won it, but he's only won it one time. Yeah. Okay. And, cool. And Rivaldo has also won it for Brazil. Mm. Yeah, there there was a there was a span of like ten years where five of the winners were Brazilian: Ronaldinho, Kaká, um, Rivaldo, and Ronaldo twice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, so some facts on Ballon d'Or. I thought you did pretty good there. Um, overall, I Thank think you, you got yeah yeah. I'll give you I'll give you three out of five there. So I'll take All right. that. Final question for you, sir. As always. Pronounce this Welsh word for me. I will spell it B R A W D. Hmm. Okay. That's easy to visualize. I always have trouble visualizing some of them. B R A W D. Brood. It's actually Browd. I've been overthinking my pronunciations recently. I really need to get back to my Welsh basics, Adam. <laughs> you, sound, you sound almost like Scandinavian when you pronounce these sometimes. Ah, <laughs> I think that's my goal. I, yeah. um, what does that mean? Uh, does it mean brown? Are we getting back to our colors? It does not mean brown. Good guess, though. It means brother. Ah, okay. All right. Yep. All right. Nice. Very good. All right. Do you have a theme for me this week? Uh, yeah. I did until I got to my final two questions. I started out with a theme and then kind of abandoned it. Uh, but all of my questions uh, are... I, actually, there is a bit of a theme. The, the theme is record Premier League records. Um, okay. I guess that, that that's kind of a more general theme than I was thinking of, but technically that would work. Uh, yeah, so um, I'll have a little bit of fun with this one. 
Question number one, Adam. Uh, how many English managers are currently in the Premier League? Ooh, can I look at the table? Yeah, you. I, I'll give you. I'll, I'll count down mentally from fifteen, and you have that much time to look at the table. Okay. Mm-hmm. English managers, you said. English. Okay. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Six. Mm. Na- name name them for me. I counted five. Okay. I would name so from, from top to bottom of the table, David Moyes for West Ham. Is David one. Moyes is Scottish. And that, that oh, is where that's you where I went wrong. Shoot. Yeah. That is where you went wrong because there there are a number, I think it's nine total uh yeah. managers from the British Isles, but only five of them are English. Yeah, so so the ones would be Graham Potter, Stephen Gerrard. Yep. Um we would have, and then the bottom three, right? Yep, the bottom three, exactly, which I, <laughs> I thought was particularly funny to see that. Ah, crap. David Moyes, not English. No, David Moyes, not English. Brendan Rodgers, not English. Um, Brendan Rodgers, I didn't get tripped up on. I know he's nor an Irish as well. So nor an Iron, baby. Uh, yep. And then, yes, Dean, Dean Smith, Sean Dyche, and Eddie Howe rounding out the bottom three. That's right. All right. All right. Um, so continuing on with English managers, uh, what legendary Englishman has the record for most clubs managed in the English Premier League? Is it a current Premier League manager or is it? Um... It is not. Okay. Most clubs managed in the Premier League. And then you'll have to give me the number of clubs. I'll give you one on either side. <sighs> So to to clarify here, I'm not asking of current Premier League teams, just the the number of clubs this person managed while they were in the Premier League. I see. So this is during the Premier League era, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, yikes. Could it be Steve Bruce? Is not Steve Bruce. Your one clue is he is also a former England manager. Hmm. Sam Allardyce? <laughs> Sam Allardyce is correct. And how many uh, Premier League clubs has he managed? Uh, let's go with six. Oh, just off. He has managed eight Premier League clubs. Uh, rapid fire. I'm not going to give you time to think about this. Can, how many of them can you name? Bolton. Correct. Newcastle. Correct. Um, shoot, who did he take down last season? Was it Fulham that he came in for last season? Or was it he nope. came in to manage last season? It was West Brom, sorry. Um, West Brom, Correct. No, I'm struggling. Give me, give me a few more. Blackburn. Okay. West Ham United. We oh, did manage the Hammers as well. You're right. Yeah. And and then to round them out, Sunderland, uh, which is one that I know you would have gotten if you uh, had a few more minutes. Uh-huh. Crystal Palace and Everton. Oh Lord, he managed Everton for a hot minute there too, huh? Yeah. Oh, 
What a terrible manager he is. Route one football. <laughs> and a former England manager, which is unbelievable. And fired in the most acrimonious of circumstances. Fantastic. Uh, truly. Um, okay, this is my last manager question. That, then I kind of stray uh, from, from that initial planned theme. Uh, who is the quickest manager to reach 100 Premier League victories? And how many games did it take him? I will give you 10 on either side. Let's go with Pep Guardiola. Correct? Because he came in and when that team was fairly well established after Manuel Pellegrini. Manuel Pellegrini. Um, how many games did it take him to win a hundred? Yeah, I think ten is a little generous. I think you should get this. One twenty. Oh, you didn't get it. One hundred thirty-four. But I, I like yeah. that you undershot that because one thirty-four, one twenty, just unbelievable to win a a hundred of one hundred thirty-four games. Yeah, that's that's pretty fantastic. Fair, fair play, great manager, quality manager, I would say. Um, all right, cool. Uh, last two questions here, sticking on Premier League records, getting away from managers. Who are the two teams that have only played one thirty-eight match season in the Premier League? Uh, and I'll give you a clue here. They're both in the Championship. I have a second clue if you want it. I've played one thirty-eight game. Yeah, so they've only played one season in the Premier League. Uh, I guess it being the Premier League means it's 38 games. So, gotcha. Uh, okay, it's not, like it's, it's, it's not like it's not like a trick question because I think the first season in the Premier League was not 38 games. Oh, I thought you were trying to trick yes. me up there. No. Um, in here, I'll, I'll give you both clues because that's a little general. They're both currently in the Championship, and both teams begin with the same letter. Interesting. Um, now that's thrown me off. Um, it's neither of the Welsh teams. They've spent more time up than that. Nottingham Forest was one I was going to go for before you said that. I'll give you another clue that is only because you just mentioned this club. Uh your clue is Puska, so or uh, Ballandor. Oh, Blackpool. Blackpool, <laughs> correct. Okay. Um, all right. So if it's a Blackpool. It's another B team. It's not Blackburn. They spent way more than that. Um, yeah, they won the Premier League. Yeah. Another B team in the in the champion you pretty much have two two to choose from here well blackburn's one of them and they're not in it so well you there are two other teams in the in the championship i'm gonna go with bristol Actually, city there i was getting i was wrong there were three teams in the championship uh, it's <laughs> not bristol city Okay. It's not Bristol City, it's not Blackburn, it's not Birmingham City, which is what I was thinking of. It is Barnsley. Oh, interesting. Wow, Barnsley made the Premier League. I don't even remember that. That must have been a, a fleeting moment there. Yeah, I have no idea when it was. So. 
Okay. Good questions today. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This is as planned, taking exactly 90 seconds to, to run through. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, all right. Uh, fifth and final question, Adam. Uh, which two current Premier League players rank in the top five highest career free kick goals in Premier League history? What? I'll repeat that. So what two current Premier League players rank in the top five for most career free kick goals in Premier League history? I'm going to go for James Ward-Prowse as one of them. Correct. I thought that was the one that you were going to trip up on. I'm trying to think who's a free kick maestro. It's not Mason Mount. It's not it's Matt not Ritchie. Mason. He's not old enough. <laughs> Matt Ritchie couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo. <laughs> Hey, Matt uh, Ritchie. Matt Ritchie has the, I believe it's the third most uh, chances created in the Premier League this season. Hmm. <laughs> Hasn't really done much for us though, has it? Um, it's not. It's not. <laughs> just gonna completely toss out irrelevant players. It's not. Let's go. It's not let's, let's, go Kevin, let's go, Kevin De Bruyne. Ooh, unfortunately. Not Kevin De Bruyne. Go to the other side of Manchester. It's CR7. Oh, wow. That's a good tricky one there because uh, earlier on in his career and then returning back. We just he, So of the top five, he had by far the least games played. Uh, he's played like 203 games in the Premier League. And everyone, like Ward Prowse has 50 more Premier League games than him. But Ronaldo has 11 and Ward Prowse has 10. Yeah, there's the, now, now I think about it, there aren't that many top-class free-kick takers in the Premier League. I think Ward-Prowse is probably top of that list. It is. He is. Uh, although, an interesting fact, a, for, a bonus question here. Uh, what former Newcastle player, who also ranks in the top five, has the highest ratio of free-kick goals per game? Current player? I, I, no. What? No. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> in the top say. five. Oh, in the top five of all-time Premier League? Yes. I don't think it's Shearer. He didn't take it a lot of free sure. kicks. Um, let's go with Lauren Robert. Lauren Robert is correct. Oh, so good. I know my tune, Army. There you go. There you go. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah, he, aver he averaged like a free kick every 20 games was his rate. Which is he wild. took a beast of a free kick too. He was a great player. Yeah. All right, cool. Those are my five questions. All right. Well then I will round out the pod, sir, with my EPL trivia question and watch you fail miserably at this. Which two Danish players have scored more than 30 total goals in the Premier League? Your first clue being both players have also scored 30 or more goals for Denmark in their international careers. And your second clue, final clue. Both of these players played for London-based clubs during their Premier League careers and are possibly best known for playing for those London-based clubs. That is unfortunately not going to help me out here. Uh, is Morgan Gams-Peterson one of them? Is not, no. Is he Danish? Uh, I think so, yeah. But no, he's not. He hasn't scored 30 or more. I think he might have scored less than that. Really? Because he was also in the top five for... Uh, for free kicks. Nope. Damn. 
Ah, shoot. I was really hoping I would get at least at least that. Um, I'll give you a clue. London, you you yeah, already please. wrote this player off at the beginning of the pod, and he is one of the two. What the hell? <laughs> but we, I we, have a, we, have a, we have a great tendency to, to do that, to to like have a lot of callbacks of like unknowingly have callbacks to each other's uh to each other's statements. I wrote him off when you first gave this clue. When first, like I first How asked the that... question. You were like, I don't think it's this person because he hasn't scored that many goals. He has. Both oh, it's Christian Eriksen, really? Yeah. Wow. For, for Spurs and for Denmark has scored more than 30 goals. That is unbelievable that he scored more than 30 goals for Spurs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um and the second player, I'll give you another clue, is an Arsenal kind of folklore legend, if you will. Arsenal. I should call in my roommate, who's an Arsenal fan. He and an extremely knowledgeable football historian. Uh, this this player retired um, actually this year um, at the grand old age of thirty three years old. That is not that old. Um, yeah. He retired earlier this year in the grand old age of 33 years old. Danish international Arsenal. His nickname is Lord. He goes by Lord and his last name. Oh, wow. Lord Bentner. Lord Bentner. That's awesome. That's great. (laughs) That is fantastic. I, I love that. Um, Wow, weirdly enough, I just got a text from a friend about a hockey player, and he said, on track for 30 goals. That is, there you go. wow, how serendipitous that is. 30 is the theme today. Uh, okay, wow, Lord Bentner and Christian Eriksen. That is a fun one. I really enjoyed that. Good, yep. I uh, I thought you'd get Christian Eriksen right off the bat, and then when you were like, it's not Christian Eriksen, I'm like, okay, great, where's his head? Because he says he's got one of them. <laughs> that was, was, that was the theme. Pedersen. That was a yeah. that was a theme today. You you I discounted Christian Eriksen and you discounted Wolves from being a a team that is faking it before or uh, is a pretender, not a contender, which is what I think they are. And I thought David Moyes was English. Sorry, David Moyes, for offending me. <laughs> it's quite all right. I speak for David Moyes. <laughs> well, lovely seventy eighth episode in the books um, again. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I don't think I've mentioned that so far. Uh, I'll be I'll be tweeting out this episode from the Coming Home Newcastle and my own Twitter account. So uh, if people uh, have any comments or any questions or have any topics they want us to go over in the next episode, let me know. I'll I'll be I'll be looking out for you. Yeah, we love our our listener engagement. So uh, yeah, hit Zach up, and we will happily get your questions on the pod. Adam, until next time. Footy. Footy. Peace.